following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church in Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. You know we are continuing our series on what? Mark. Thank you. Mark, investigating the man who is God. And we are going to jump straight into the scripture because we got a lot to work on. So let's do it. In Mark, uh, verse 34, uh, it reads, Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, like, like how Jesus makes him kind of give the pep talk, this adulterous and sinful generation, um, the Son of Man will be ashamed of then when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Let's pray. God, thank you for this word today. I pray, Lord, that you would just poke us where we need to be poked, God, where we need to be prodded to move out of our comfort zones into the places of purpose in our life, into the places where you are, Lord. God, you are not a God that is just stagnant, that just stays in the same place. Even though you are the same yesterday and today and forever, God, you are not a God who stops moving, but a God who is continually on mission, who is continually pursuing the, a, a heart that is uh, after you, God, continually pursuing people, Lord. You leave the 99 to go after the one lost sheep, God. You are the type of God that doesn't let anybody fall through the cracks, Lord. You're continually pursuing after people's hearts. So, Lord, we pray that we would yield to a pursuing God, would yield our hearts to a pursuing God that wants to come in and get to know us and for us to trust him and to believe in him and to know that he's good and that he's able, no matter what we're facing to be able to come in and to make our, our situations better and to bring us out of our comfort zones into places where we could do the same for others. In your precious name we pray. Amen. So this is a, a, a turning point scripture in the Gospel of Mark. In this scripture, it's the Je- Jesus' first time talking about suffering and the cross. Jesus is now turning away from Galilee and he's going to be turning toward Jerusalem where he's going to suffer and die and be and be rejected and die, not in that order. So suffer, be rejected, and then die. Uh, and, and so we're going to see this happen. And so Jesus is mentioning this to the disciples. And kind of a little bit more of the context is that, that Peter had just told everybody that Jesus is the Messiah. He confessed Jesus as the Messiah. And then Jesus came around and he said, well, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer, and I'm going to, going to die on a cross. And then on the third day, I'm going to be raised again. And the disciples, it was hard for them to hear this because things had been going well in Galilee where they had been ministering. They're, they had seen Jesus do miracles. They had seen Jesus do amazing things. They had seen Jesus teach with authority, and they were kind of getting popularity. And so they thought, hey, we're getting we're growing this Messiah campaign of Jesus, and we're growing the kingdom. They thought it was going to be the kingdom of Israel that was going to come, and they were going to throw off the Roman oppressors, and they were going to build this earthly kingdom. And then all of a sudden, Jesus is talking about suffering and, and dying and, and 
rising again, this doesn't seem to fit their idea of what was supposed to happen. They thought that they were going to build an earthly kingdom, that it was going to be, be comfortable for them, that they were going to be on the right and the left hand at the seat of power by Jesus. That's what they thought. They, they were excited for this. And we see the, the disciples throughout the rest of the, of the gospel, they have these debates, who's going to be the greatest? And, and Jesus said, but for you to sit on my right and left hand is not for me to give. Because what they didn't know is that Jesus' right and his left hand, those were, were places of, of, other, of other crosses, of crucifixion. Not places of, of power in what they thought, not places of comfort in what they thought, but those were places of, of pain. And the disciples didn't want this. They, they didn't want to hear Jesus talk about, about comfort. They, they, they want, they're about a cross. They wanted, they wanted comfort. So Jesus wanted a, a cross, but they wanted comfort. And that's, I think, the place where a lot of us find ourselves in our life. That we, every calling requires a cross. That's what the disciples didn't realize. Jesus was asking them to go to the cross because they wanted an earthly kingdom, but Jesus wanted an eternal kingdom. He wanted to see greater things happen. He wanted the disciples to follow him and help start the church. The disciples wanted comfort, and Jesus wanted a cross. And I think that's where we find ourselves. Like I said, every calling requires a cross. I just started working out. I worked out again yesterday, and uh, you know, it didn't feel well. I kind of haven't been feeling super well this week. I know there's been some stuff going around. People haven't been feeling well. Kind of when the weather changes, that happens. But you know, I was pumping weights and getting back into it. I kind of had to stop because I felt like I was going to throw up. Maybe that's too much information. But, um, <laughs> but you know, just, just getting, trying to get back in, into lifting weights. And, and my wife got back into it. My kids got back into it. And we're getting ready because in a couple weeks we're going on a cruise. My parents bought us a cruise to go on, um, which is really, really kind of them. But we're really excited to go on to it and get away a little bit because, um, you know, I only work one day a week, but it's a lot. Um, but... Uh, so we were excited to get back into it, but it was hard because every calling requires a cross. You know this. If you want to have a great relationship or a great marriage, it requires a cross. It requires that you give up some things. There's going to be a little bit of suffering in that. You're going to have a difference of opinion with your spouse. You're going to uh, have some time where you've got to give up some time and money potentially. You've got to give up some, some of the ways that you want to do things because for you to have a great marriage... It means that you have to, have to go through some suffering. You have to give up some things. For you to have a great career, it requires a cross. You've gotta, you can't leave early. You've got to stay extra. You've got to work harder. You've got to plan. You've got to do your job. Every calling requires a cross. But that's not the way we want to live. We don't want to live with a cross. We want to live with comfort in our lives. So I thought I would bring a couple examples of this. Say, um, Uncrustables, for example. So this is Uncrustables. Uh, I don't know if any of you know about this, but we have three uh, elementary or one middle school now and two elementary age kids. And so we have to make lunches. Lunches, for people who are, are not parents out there, can really begin to be a big burden on you after a while. Um, and so my wife, she works at, at, a, at, a, element, at a preschool and they had some extra Uncrustables, so they sent them home with her. Now, this one is really just takes the cake out of all of them. This is, so Uncrustables, these are like prepackaged 
sandwiches. And because, and, right, doing a sandwich is so hard. But not only that, this is a peanut butter sandwich. Now, you might say, you mean peanut butter and jelly. No, I mean just a peanut butter sandwich. That means they took in bread, they put peanut butter on it, and put another slice of bread on it. At what point do we say that sandwiches are this difficult that we don't have the time to spread peanut butter on one piece of bread, put another bread on top of it, and call it good? How long does that really take? Maybe a couple seconds to do that? And so, so, so we, we are people that are bent on convenience and comfort. We want things the easy way. Like Burger King, have it your way, but I would say even more than that, have it the easy way. Like, so take, for instance, for me, a couple years ago, I'm getting older now. My eyesight's not what it was. And uh, I went, I, I went to, to go get an eye exam because I was having trouble reading things. And I thought, man, this is an eye exam. I've got to really concentrate on this because I don't want to get a D on my eye exam. It's, they don't call it an eye quiz. I mean, it's really important. And so I don't want to end up with these huge, like, Coke bottle things on my eyes. It's like, all I see is shapes and shadows, and I can't see anything because I... And they're like, did you fail the eye exam? I was like, yes. You're like, you should have studied more for the eye exam. But I... So I, I took the eye exam, and I passed, thank goodness. Um, and I, I got my, my glasses, and I put my glasses on, and all of a sudden, I could see. And I was like, wow, I could have been seeing things. And, and then um, I, I had them on, and I could see better, and I was like, how is, is instantly improved vision not at the top of my to-do list? It's like, nah, I don't have time to see. I'll do that tomorrow. No, no, I don't got time. I don't got time to see. But, but see, we are a people that are bent on convenience and comfort. And we get stuck in our, in our little ways of doing things. And we, we want to be able to continue to do the right thing and continue to, to focus on things. And we, we get our heads so deep down into our work that we can't pull our heads out of our you-know-what and be able to try to, to see the bigger picture and see the, the things that God might be wanting to do. Because every calling requires a cross. And this also applies to our faith. That, that in our faith, it's going to mean that we're going to need to give up some things, that there might even need to be some suffering in our life that we want to follow what Jesus has called us to do. But so often we want to do things our own way. And, in, um, and God wants us to do some great things. In John 14, 12, it says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. But you see, our problem is, is that we want to do great things, but great things come with a, cro- a cross. A great calling comes with a cross. We want to follow God's plan for our lives, but oftentimes that comes with a cross. And, and, and the root of it, when, I, when I've got to be honest, when I've, got to, when I've got to be real, the root of it really is sin. That we don't want to follow God's way. We want our own way. We want to do things our way. We don't want to do things God's way. I mean, sin is fun for a time, Right? Unless if you're not, unless you're not, you're doing it wrong. Sin is fun for a time. Amen. Can we get some? Can we get real here in church together? Okay. Sin can be fun for a time. Sin is fun if you do it right. If you do it wrong, I don't know what's wrong with you. But but it, but but sin can be fun for a time. But the problem is that after a time, 
when that, that fun goes away, we begin to reap the consequences of our sin. And, and in our life, we want to choose our own path, we want our own way, we want to do our own thing, but, but it doesn't lead us to good places, it leads us to unhealthy places. And there's a, a proverb, it says, there's a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. That's where it leads. See, I try to justify myself uh, in so many different ways to why what I'm doing is right. I try to justify myself when I see my wife wanting to clean the house, and I, I say, oh, well, I've worked harder than her, or, or I, I, I'm not feeling well, and so um, it's, it's, it's Friday. It's a day of rest, and so we can't clean the house, and I don't know why she's cleaning right now. I'm not going to join, join her. I'm right. I'm not going to do it. And so I try to justify myself, or I, I try to justify myself in my anger for things. This this morning, the cat was our tigger, the cat I, I'm struggling to love, uh, pray for me. Um, he always hides everywhere, and he just kept meowing and meowing and meowing in the bathroom, and I just opened the door, and I, I might have kicked him a little bit. Not hard, not hard, but, uh, but just getting him out, right? I try to justify myself. I've got things to do. This cat is annoying me. He needs to leave. Maybe, maybe I shouldn't have been a cat person. Um, but, uh, but, you know, so I try to dress, oh, I'm right in that. And, and, and in the midst of that, you know, when we, when we try to follow our own way and it, it leads to death, it leads to places where we know we're not right, it's no matter how much we try to justify ourselves, um, it leads to places where, where of death, where we just can't get it right. And what we hear in our mind is we hear the voice of the accuser saying, you're a liar. You're a cheat. Josh, you're a pastor. Why are you acting like that? You, you're, you, you, you just looked at that woman wrong. What, what are you thinking? You're never going to measure up. Look, you failed your exam. Look, you, you didn't do well in your job. You're not worthy to be here. And we hear that voice of the accuser in our head time after time after time telling us that we're not good, telling us that we'll never, never measure up, threatening our lives, telling us that, we'll, that, we, that we are unloved, telling us that people won't be around us, telling us that we won't be accepted, and we listen to the voice of the accuser. And here's what, I, Jesus didn't tell us to take up the cross of our sin. You see, I don't know how to deal with my sin. I try to, to defeat it. I try to do everything I can. I, I try harder. I just white knuckle. I'm, I'm going to defeat it this time. I'm not going to be angry. I'm not going to do a bad thing. I'm, I'm going to make the right choice. But what I find is it doesn't work. The more I try to white knuckle change in my life, the more I, I fall into it. But Jesus in this passage, he didn't say, take up your cross of sin. You see, that cross is too heavy for us. That's not a cross we can bear. He didn't say, deny your sin, because we can't carry the cross of Jesus. That was one thing that's already been taken care of. Jesus took care of our sin once and for all, so you don't have to take up the cross of sin. I don't have to take up the cross of, of the, all the things that I do wrong that are, that, are, that are bad, because it's not about that. It's not about me trying to white-knuckle change. It's about me getting closer to Jesus. And as I get closer to Jesus... The Holy Spirit comes in my heart and begins to transform my heart to lead me into new things and to give me a new heart with new desires of new ways that I, that I want to behave. That's what the, well, the Holy Spirit comes into my heart. So Jesus didn't, so what about our sin? So Jesus didn't tell us to deny our sin. He said to deny yourself. 
there is something that is not sin that is still our, our cross that we have to bear. Jesus took up his cross once and for all. We have to take up the cross of ourself daily. See, on our cross, we don't deal with sin. We deal with self. We deal with the difficult things that, that we do that are not necessarily sin, but are still things that we do that are keeping us from the life that God has called us to live. This is, this is in the, the, the religious terms, this is sanctification. This is you, you beginning to live out. Okay, you've been saved. You've been set free, blood-washed, sanctified, spirit-filled in, into the cross. Now you've been set free of your sin, but that sin, that, that's going to take a lifetime to work itself out in you, in you stepping in good paths, stepping in the, the, the admonition and, the, and the, the working of the Lord in your life. So we've got to step into some of these places. And, and some, a lot of the times what stops us is, is trying to live in our comfort zone. It's not necessarily sin to be comfortable, but it's not, we're going to stop ourselves from really understanding and really living in the purpose of God in our life if we just continue to live in comfort. You see, we get the idea of, of, of wrong. We think the primary function of Jesus is to comfort us. That we can come to church and we're saved and everything's fine and, and now we just keep coming to church and everything will be okay. And so we can keep walking in our comfort zone. But Jesus didn't come for comfort. He came to confront us in the midst of our circumstances. We get the primary function of our relationship with Jesus wrong. Like, for instance, my kids, we, I have a weight, a weight uh, bench in my, my room. And my kids were running around it. And they were, they were playing tag or something, and they were running around it. And then I think one of my sons bumped his toe on the weight bench and fell down and hurt himself. And he didn't get that the primary function uh, of the weight bench. The primary function is not a toy, it's a coat rack. So that's what he was supposed to, supposed to understand. Um, but we don't get this a lot of times in our life. We don't get that our primary relationship with Jesus is not for comfort, but to confront us in what, what he's calling us to do. Um, and part of that is, is that uh, our, our vision. God wants to give a vision for our life. Um, he wants to, us to see something bigger. And part of the way he's going to do that is through the Holy Spirit. The G- Jesus did say that the Holy Spirit was the comforter. Jesus wasn't the comforter. The Holy Spirit is the comforter. Uh, I have a little uh, story about Marco uh, this last week. We were reading the Action Bible. If you guys have kids and you want them to start reading the Bible more, or if you have grown kids and you want them to start reading the Bible more, the Action Bible is a great Bible. It's like a comic book, basically. And we were reading it with my, my sons. And um, we were reading the story of Samuel and talking about, Sam, actually, sorry, it was the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. These are prophets of other gods. And um, I was telling Marco, you know, we don't worship Baal. We worship God. And, and he said, oh, yeah, that's, that's the God of, of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Son. And, um, and he couldn't think of the third. So I said, I said Marco, what am I? Because I'm his father. I said, Marco, what am I? He said, um, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Son, and the Holy Human. <laughs> and, and I said, no, the, the Holy Father, the Holy Spirit, Son, and Father. Um, anyways, the, the Father sent Jesus to, to not com- comfort us, but to confront us. 
Jesus wanted to confront the systems that controlled people, that tried to, to keep them from God, stuck in the shackles of religion. So Jesus confronted the Pharisees of his day, and he said to them that, that they were trying to heap burdens on the people of, of religious laws that they themselves wouldn't lift a finger to try to help them with. Or he, he confronted the money changers in the temple and said, you've created, my house is a house of prayer, but, but you've made it a den of robbers. And, and Jesus wanted to confront people. He wanted to confront them because he wanted them to realize that there was something greater in their life than what was comfortable for them. He wanted them to have a vision for their life. See, calling is about vision. It's about the level at which you see God's gift that, has, that he's placed in your life. God has placed a gift in your life, and he wants to be, you to be able to see that. But most of the time, we can't see the level of our, we can't see our calling because of our comfort. Our comfort has got in the way of our calling. Um, Jesus, a lot of times, when he wants to work in your life, he wants to be able to, to show you a vision for your life. But what that means a lot of times is that you are going to have to step out in the midst of your life. You're going to have to step out of what's comfortable. For example, the rich young ruler in the, the Bible, he was a, a rich young ruler that came to Jesus and, and asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, you know, uh, you know the laws. And the, uh, you, honor your father and your mother. Don't steal. You know, the, basically the Ten Commandments. And the, the rich young ruler said, yeah, I've, I've kept all those things. All those things I've kept since I was little. It says that, that Jesus looked at him and loved him. And he said, go sell all your possessions and then come, follow me. And the, it says that the rich young ruler went away sad because he had many things. Jesus is not saying we can't have wealth. He's not saying we can't have good things. But what he realized about this rich young ruler is that his, his riches, his wealth, were an obstacle that he couldn't see beyond his comfort into his calling. Jesus didn't say, follow me, except to his disciples, the, pe the, the people that were part of the 12. He only, he usually he would say to people, go back to your village, go, go here, go there. He wouldn't let people follow him, but he said to the rich young ruler, come, follow me. The rich young ruler was given one of the greatest invitations of all time to follow Jesus on the earth, to lead a life of legacy. We don't even know his name now. We don't even know what he was about. But Jesus said, come, follow me. But he couldn't see past his comfort into his calling. And God has a calling for each and every one of your lives. And we're going to, hopefully, if you come to the shape class, we can talk a little bit about it more but God wanted to, was trying to, to call the disciples. Jesus was trying to call the disciples out of their comfort and into their calling. Um, they, were, they had been ministering in, in Caper, um, Capernaum. But actually, the, the Hebrew translation of that is Kefir Nahum. Kefir means village. Nahum means, or sorry, Kefir means, I have to get back to my, my Hebrew. I think Kefir means village. Nahum means comforter. I might have those reversed. Um, don't quote me on that. But, uh, but it, it, Capernaum means village of comforter. He was trying to call them out of Capernaum, the, out of their village of comfort, out of their comfort zone, into their calling. And see, a lot of times it's, it's scary to step out of our comfort zone because we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know how things are going to be. 
and we, wanna, we, we need to step out of our comfort zone, but, but that can be scary. And, and a lot of times we think, man, I'm, I'm going one way, and, then, and maybe God might take me like a, do a 180 and might take me a whole completely different way. But what I've found is God is already working in your life to prepare you for your calling. See, I, when I was in seminary, uh, one of the things I said is I said, I don't want to be a youth pastor at a white affluent suburban church. Because I, I, was, I was all missional, and I wanted to be on mission. And I don't want to be a, a pastor at a white, affluent, suburban church. What was my one job right after seminary? A youth pastor at a white, affluent, suburban church. All, all the other students were doing that. I was like, I don't want to be like all the other students. I want to do something different. But that's the direction God took me. But God took me to a church that was a church plant. And while I was there, I learned about church planning, and I had a friend back in West Philadelphia, born and raised on the playground. He spent most of his days. Um, that's a 90s reference for all of you younger ones. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, so he was out there. He was planting a church. He was my, my good friend from seminary. I was learning about that. And then God ended up calling me into church planning. God was preparing me at the one place I didn't want to be for what was the next step. And then when I was um, a, a church planner, um, you know, I, 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 just what I'd seen in my life is that every time I had said never to God, that's the thing God had put me in. But also, God was always preparing me along the way. See, when God wants to move you out of your comfort zone, it's not going to be out of your competency. See, a lot of times it'll be out of your comfort zone, but not on your competency. See, God's not going to put you on the voice if you can't sing. God's not going to put you in a place where you're going to fail. It might be hard. It might be very difficult. But the Bible says that he will not put you in a place or not tempt you in a place beyond what you can endure. And if, and you, if you can't, then he'll give you a way out. God is a good God. He wants to put you in a place where you can succeed, where you can experience his goodness, when you can grow more, where you can see what he wants to do in your life. And so God wants to help you to find these things. Like I said, it's, it's not always easy, though. It might be scary. But sometimes fear is not a bad thing. Fear can actually be an ally in our life if fear leads us to, to realizing that we need something greater than just our own resources in our life. That if we put, let fear put us in a place where we become more open, then fear can be an ally in our lives. Um, for like my, my son, Mateo, he, was at, he go, was at school, and some kids who had seen the movie It, the newer one, I think, they were explaining the movie It to my son. Now, we don't let my son watch the movie It. Um, he doesn't get to see those things. I'm scared to death of clowns. Don't ever, I got a, a thing in my um, box that was like for a circus. I opened it up and I almost screamed because there was like a clown on the front. I don't know what it is. I think I, my, uh, my saw Poltergeist when I was younger. My parents were playing it and I crept in and saw that part where the clown, like the puppet clown, like reaches out and I was like scarred for life. I had to go to counseling or something after that. Um, so I hate clowns. Um, but, uh, but anyways, I forgot why I was saying that. Uh, <laughs> but I just don't like clowns. That's a tidbit for you to know about me. Um, so don't invite me to the circus. <laughs> um, but anyways, like, so, so that, that, that was difficult. I've got to go back to my notes now because I forgot why I was talking about clowns. I've scared myself to death. Um, Mateo was talking about clowns. Okay. So, Mate so, um, so they ta told Mateo about clowns. And, uh, and Mateo was scared. Now, I told you we were reading the Bible together. We were reading the Bible because Mateo was scared. 
And it brought Mateo to wanting to read God's word. It brought him, to, he was scared. He didn't want to sleep in his room. He was afraid. We said God is bigger than the boogeyman, like for Veggie Tales. Um, God is bigger than the boogeyman, and uh, he can work in your life. And, and so that brought Mateo to Jesus. See, fear can be an ally, can be more of an ally than familiarity can be. Because familiarity can put us in our comfort zone, and what our comfort zone can do is it can become a control on our life. We don't realize it, but the bars, we've locked ourselves in from the inside. And we don't want to escape because it seems comfortable. But the comfort is still a prison of our own making, and we've got to be able to break out. And so I want to, before we close now, I want to go into three things real quickly that I want to talk about. Um, of some things that maybe we need to be confronted in our life to get out of our comfort zone and to go through the calling that requires a cross. First, we need to let go of trying to save ourselves. In, in the U.S., we are so focused on the DIY, do-it-yourself, and that you, we, so we've isolated ourselves to the point where our, we've lifted up the self as, as the God to be worshipped especially here in the Northwest where rugged individualism and manifest destiny is, has pushed us into saying, hey, I don't need to do it. I can do it myself. And we, we, we've lifted up the self. And so we're trying to save ourselves so often. Jesus said, for those who want to save their lives will lose it. And, and those who lose their lives for my sake will, will save it. What Jesus was saying is, is you can't be your own savior. You can't save your life. So many of us are trying to do all we can to save our lives and to try to do the right thing. We try to, to save our lives and our relationships. We try to, to they, they said that, that it takes on average for a couple to go see a counselor. It takes like seven years while, of them going through problems before they'll finally go see a counselor. I got this email, random email from, I don't know how I got on a list, but somebody was emailing me about counseling from some website that sends people out about counseling and it was a guy who needed marital counseling as a pastor i see a lot of the need for for couples to go through counseling and usually it's way before they'll actually admit they'll actually need counseling people need other people we we are trying to save ourselves we try to save ourselves in our finances and we try to figure out ways and ways to make things work. We cut the budget back or we buy a credit card and we just charge things. And the, the average consumer debt is, pro is over $10,000 um, for, for, for the U.S. And so we are a nation that is trying to save ourselves and it's not working. And that leads to the second thing. Jesus said um, that if you want to, if you want to, that you, you can't gain the whole world and, and forfeit your soul. What, what worth is it? Why gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? Let me read it to you. For who, uh, What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? I read this book called Soul Keeping. It's a really good book, and I highly recommend it. Um, but it, it talks about what is a soul. And you don't hear a sermon very much on what is a soul. But, it, but there's an inner life and an outer life to people. Your outer life is, is all, are all the things that we see. Your outer life is, you know, your, your actions, your words, all those things. But then there's your, your inner life. Um, your inner life is, is, is pertains to your soul, what, what's going on inside of you. And, and Ortberg, um, who, who writes this book, 
Um, he says, my, my inner life is largely invin- invisible. It's where my secret thoughts, hopes, and wishes live. And he said, in the 21st century, we've replaced community, society, church, and faith with a tiny little unit that cannot bear the weight of meaning. We've replaced all these larger entities with the self. The self is a standalone, do-it-yourself unit, while the soul reminds us we are not made for ourselves or by ourselves. The soul always exists before God. And he says there's four parts to your life, that there is your will, which is your capacity to choose. There is your mind, which is your thoughts and feelings. There's your body, which is your, your, your kind of the power pack. It's the thing, your body, your physical body. Which we all know what that is. Um, and then there's your soul. And he said your soul is like the operating system of your body. It's what, it, what integrates all the different parts, and it's what directs them. So it's what connects and directs all the different parts of your body. And your soul is what goes up to heaven. Your soul is what will stand before God. Your soul is you. You'd know that if you died and your body was there, say, you know, we have those movies where people switch souls, and so even though it's the same body, we recognize it's two different people, there is something where we recognize that there's a you that is a little bit different than just your body. That you can, that maybe, have you ever had something where somebody says something and you're like, that's not you? And you're, you're like, like, maybe they said something they heard from a movie or it, they were on the influence of somebody else in their life. And so they said something that wasn't them. We recognize that there is a piece of you that is you that is separate from the body, separate from, from who you are. And he's talking about this is what is called the soul. This is really who you are. And, he, and Dallas Willard in this book, he says, a healthy soul is an integrated soul. And an unhealthy soul is a disintegrated one. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and forfeit their soul is what Jesus said. What Jesus is saying is a diagnostic expression. To lose my soul means I no longer have a healthy center that organizes and guides my life. See, pursuing comfort over calling cripples our soul. Because we're giving up that inner part that is really us for, for comfort, for other things that are not really us. And when we don't live in t- true to, to who God has created us to be, true to our souls, that's not just true to us, but it's true to who God has created us to be. It cripples our soul, and it makes it a weak, passive soul that, that, was, that all the circumstances around us seem bigger. And this is what we see so often in the U.S., that, that we have people that are entitled, that are victimized, because they have a weak soul. And they are constantly playing the victim. They're constantly entitled to things because, because it's, not, it's, not, um, it's not them, it's their circumstances. And I'm seeing this so much when I'm watching the news. And we're seeing students run, rush into professors' offices and, and say, oh, you know, they're protesting and yelling at professors because they, it's, they, didn't, they had a microaggression or they had something that didn't really seem to make sense. See, what happens when we begin to fall away from God, when we begin to, to, to walk into our comfort zone and we make comfort the biggest thing, is that we don't stand up and stand up for what's right. And when we don't do that, then things fall by the wayside. Evil doesn't ride in on the back of, of cruel people. Evil rides in on the back of the apathetic masses, the people who just don't care enough, the people who are saying somebody else will take care of it. But God is not the God 
that has called us as Christians, as his church, to not live on mission, to not stand up for some of the greater things. I see a church that stands up and says, we are for the foster kids. I see a church that stands up and says, we are for struggling couples. I see a church that stands up and and says, we are for broken men. I I see a church that stands up and says, we are for the hurting women. I, I see a church that stands up and says, we are for the family. I see a church that stands up and says, we are for the community, a a church that will not be passive, that will reject passivity, that will accept responsibility, and that will lead courageously in what we do to invest eternally in people and see more people come to know Christ because of what God wants to do through this church. That we will not step back and reject, we'll reject passivity, and we'll accept the responsibility of God's call in our life. Because God has put the church as his vehicle through which he wants to work. God wants to work through us. God wants to see amazing things happen in our community. We want to be a part of that. We want to see those things happen. And I look forward to being able to talk to you more about this. I know I'm over time now, so I've got to stop. But um, I just pray that that we would be a church that would be open to that. That would be open to, to listening to what God wants to do in and through us. Can we be that, church?